Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up, motherfuckers? I am no longer self-proclaimed booze pundit. I am officially proclaimed. Someone else has proclaimed us as booze pundits. Oh my god, who made that grave mistake to give us that kind of confidence? I don't know, but there's a lot of power, and I'm very excited about it. Wait, so you really don't know, or I just don't remember? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Chris Sinclair, joined by my co-host, Drew Garrison, and believe it or not, after, what, 15 months, 16 months, we're finally back together live and in person for our first recording, and I could not be more thrilled about it. Are you going to do a hard stop on the music? And that's how we do it. That's our new house style, is what we've been told by someone who knows better than we do. Um, so I'm really, I'm really excited for this because there's a different, there's already a different energy, right? And it's like, yeah, Drew's gonna murder me. Yeah, there, there is a little bit of that because you just took your, like, it's, it's like watching my child get ready for something in the morning. It's just kind of like they have to do literally everything else except for like what I want them to do in order for us to leave. And that's what you did today. But, um, but I'm excited to be here. It was, are you? Yeah, I am. That's great. And it's because we, we have, we have a really, really, really fun guest. And, and I've been going, going through this, uh, all day. Like how, how do I introduce this person? How do I introduce this person that made me feel like the only person in a bar when the bar was completely full? How do I convey that special feeling that that they gave me when I'm three deep at a busy San Francisco bar and he looks me in the eye and he says, what can I get you? And I just was like, oh, me? He goes, yes, you. And then I gave him two drink orders and he nailed it and then also got me a mug at the same time. It was unbelievable. Our guest today is the whitest Hawaiian I've ever met. He's <laughs> hey, I'm just super holly, okay? okay. He is a rum enthusiast, a penalizer enthusiast, and he's drinking some really, really amazing stuff. Our guest is Justin Dulier. Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what what are we drinking? It's not even just like, what are you drinking? What are we drinking together right now? Yeah, the proverbial we. I assume all of you at home are probably drinking it too. It's, it's super huge and out there. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you very, very much. I feel like you really need to like take me out to dinner before you try to sleep with me like that. Uh, wow, uh, what an introduction. Uh, also, like you know, it's really fun that I can be here for your guys' like first sit-down-together podcast. Uh, since the pandemic started. I mean, I, I hate to break it to you, but like, it's a really bad sign. Cause like, if you bring me on, I don't know what the state of this podcast is, but it really can't be good. It's just sort of a sign <laughs> of the end time. We brought Justin on, things are looking bleak. Like, hey, you know, from here on out, when they say it started downhill, this will be that moment. I don't know, man. I feel like we've told people from the beginning, they know what this is at this point in time. <laughs> well, and, and, and also like, 
so when I asked you to be on the podcast uh, last week, you know, we picked you up earlier today. We spent the day together going to different accounts and, and talking rum and, and things like that. And you're like, so I listened to like six podcasts. Like I, I, I he wanted to catch up on what this podcast was all about. And immediately I was like, I was like, oh, he's the saddest person in this car right now. I mean, like, <laughs> I, mean, I can confidently say that I have listened to more episodes of the Good Bottle podcast in the last three days than anyone on the planet. If there's someone who's listened to more than six episodes in the last three days, come at me, bro. It'll be difficult to find me because I'm like not on social media in any way, shape, or form. But if you can find me, if there's aloha in your heart, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, summoned. Yeah. So, yeah. so speak. So, speaking of that aloha spirit, that's what. What are we drinking then? Like, so, what is, we got? Yeah, let's get back to that. What we are drinking here is some beautiful Hawaiian agricole rum uh, from Kohana Distillery. Uh, it's such a pleasure for me to talk about it because as someone who grew up in Hawaii uh, and it just absolutely loves spirits and has been bartending for some time, it's really cool to have a phenomenal spirit company coming out of the islands that's actually doing things in a way that makes me proud, putting a spirit in the bottle that is both representative and evocative of Hawaii and made and executed in a way that is both true to the place, the agriculture, the people, and just the feeling of the islands. And so what I'm talking about is Kohana rum. Uh, Kohana is a agricole style rum from the island of Oahu. Uh, distillery is located on Kunia. If you've ever driven out to the north shore of Oahu, right before the H2 turns up and you start driving up and over the mountain range to get over to the north shore, you just keep going to the left. You have to turn off of the leaky, leaky highway. You can go around on the Leaky Leaky if you want to. So the Leaky Leaky is going to go over to the east side of the island. I just like saying Leaky Leaky. Leaky Leaky is so fun to say. Absolutely. So you go Pali Leaky Leaky. Now there's even the H3. Different ways to get over to the windward side. My man, we got you hooked up. Woo! But uh, Kunia is located sort of like right there in the flats on the leeward side, on the west side of the island. It is just this beautiful agricultural zone uh, that is now home to a farm, which is growing a whole bunch of sugarcane. And so that's the first thing about Kohana that I think is super is that it's a farm first and foremost, uh, been growing agriculture since 2009 um, when the founders went around and were working with an ethnobotanist from the University of Hawaii named Noah Lincoln, uh, who's been researching native Hawaiian varietals of sugarcane trying to categorize them, trying to classify them and find out which of the varietals exist and comparing them to existing records so that they can show which of these varietals used to be around and which of them were the actual native Hawaiian varietals that were brought to the islands by the Hawaiians and have been cultivated for literally thousands of years. Uh, and that's what's so cool about Hawaiian sugarcane is that there's more genetic diversity in Hawaiian sugarcane than any other cane in the world. The Hawaiians were unbelievable navigators as well as agriculturalists. So when they are sailing around from island to island, they're bringing a whole bunch of crops with them and great things for being able to plant up and start their civilizations in the islands that they landed. So they brought a lot of breadfruit, kalo, uh, which is the taro root they pound into poi, as well as sugarcane. Uh, sugarcane is the most calorically dense food at, in the world. Uh, so as far as calories per ounce, 
There are more calories in sugar cane than anything else, which really matters when you are sailing and taking all of your family on a boat and have to eat. So the boat can continue to float and you have a bunch of calories with you. It also grows super duper well because it's a grass. So they're bouncing around from island to island. And as they're planting these things, growing unbelievable agriculture and growing from island to island, they are growing all different types of sugarcane. The sugarcane starts to adapt to the different Hawaiian climates, to the different areas and to the different islands. And what started as likely somewhere between one to five canes, they're not entirely sure how many originally seeded this, grew into upwards of 40 different types of sugarcane. So at Kohana, uh, through partnering with the work of Noah Lincoln at the University of Hawaii, we are currently growing about 34 plus different varietals of native Hawaiian heirloom sugarcane. And we have the beautiful privilege of being able to grow them, harvest them, juice them, ferment them, and then distill them, which we turn into single varietal Hawaiian agricole style rums, which we're all drinking now. Uh, so the one that we're drinking now is papa'a. Uh, papa'a is a beautiful type of cane. It is the only Hawaiian cane that has both a purple stalk and purple leaves. Uh, it means burnt in Hawaiian, which you can tell immediately from looking at a field of papa'a. When you go to Kohana, you can drive up the hill uh, on a little tractor right above and look out over the sugarcane field. The little square that is papa'a is immediately apparent because there's this sea of greens and yellows and then this chunk of purple that sits in the middle. It's absolutely beautiful and striking to look at. And I hope that you think it's beautiful and striking to taste as well. So uh, for the uninitiated, what can you describe sort of what sugarcane looks like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so sugarcane is a grass. Yeah, so it grows really, really nicely, easily, and quickly, which is awesome. Um, but it is it grows in stalks, like these poles that grow from the ground upwards of 12 to 14 feet in the air for certain varietals. Um, so it starts to just grow and grow, and full-grown sugarcane is huge. So you get these giant fields of beautiful stalks that come up. And when you see all the genetic diversity for Hawaiian canes, you get these lovely colors that go anywhere from yellows, greens, red, pinks, to these dark, dark purples with different lines that like some of them are striped canes. Others have different types of leaves that come off in different ways. Like one of them, Kalaoa, has these leaves that fan out like a fan palm or it looks like a peacock is strutting somewhere. And so obviously all of this genetic diversity is terrible for the sugarcane industry. Uh, when they came in <laughs> using mostly the same type of cane that you're going to find all throughout the Caribbean, they brought it in specifically for the industry by industry members. So it would grow there. And as the plantations are popping up all over in the late 1700s into the 1800s in Hawaii, as the sugarcane industry really gets off the ground, they start to cultivate a bunch of different foreign cane to grow because it grows a lot straighter, a lot taller with a lot more dense sugar content, which all is wonderful. Uh, what's not great about that is that it creates a very monotonous type of actual flavor. When you're pulling out sugar, it doesn't really matter, but the Hawaiians were using sugar cane for food. And when you're using sugarcane for food, getting all of this beautiful diversity and stylistic difference makes a huge difference because they taste wildly different. 
And that's kind of the eye-opening experience is that we hear a lot about terroir and differences through varietals, growing regions in wine. We don't hear a lot about it in spirits. I mean, so much of our spirits, one, a lot of them are influenced by barrels, but two, we just don't have as much tied to agriculture as we once did. There aren't as many grower distillers out there as there once were either. So we don't get the opportunity to see that. But also for a lot of them, there just isn't quite as much of that diversity that goes into these distillates. So when you actually have diverse agriculture, it produces wildly different spirits and it's pretty fun to see. Yeah, I just I can't say enough. I mean, this is a this is a rum that that we've featured multiple times on the podcast because both Chris and I are are huge fans of it and the people behind it. But, you know, I also think that one of the things that I want to highlight is the is like the grower producer and and something that doesn't get talked a lot about where like you have this control over what your what your base source is going to be and you know i think you know you approached me like 6 months ago and brought me just like this treasure trove of of rum like we met in a parking lot like most rum transactions <laughs> yeah, go down absolutely all the time <laughs> everyone, everyone, yeah, yeah. everyone at home is nodding to themselves saying yes this is like when my rum transactions yes <laughs> And you know, every and time you, I bought Captain Morgan, this is how it went down. <laughs> this is how it always goes down. <laughs> and so, you know, being able to to taste the differences between one cane to the next, and and the only the only other, I guess, rum company that I've even had any kind of inkling about this was like Clement, when Clement would put a bigger emphasis on their on their blue cane uh, they, releases they and blue, which is yeah. the one single varietal, which is so beautiful. It's yeah. a really, really yeah. lovely cane. Yeah, and so it's it's really cool to see that approach on the Hawaiian side. And and this is also uh, a distillery tour that I did for the first time, I want to say probably three years ago, four years ago, and went with my in-laws and the rest of my family, and it was really amazing. And, and what I'll say about this distillery tour is like, you know, you see all the things that are cool, like the distillation, the fermentation methods, the crushing of the cane and stuff like that. But then you also get introduced to the whole farm and the different sustainable practices that that are being that are taking place there that are trying to make not only this really amazing rum agricole, but just in general, improve the lives of people on Oahu and making it a more sustainable place. Because one of the things that was highlighted on that tour was if if Hawaii was to lose the the ability to um, import items from from the mainland and different parts of the world, it's like they have enough food to last like 48 hours, which to me is like, <laughs> which I'm like, as someone who's been to Oahu a couple of times, I'm super, super fortunate. I'm kind of like, I'm like, how is not everyone just freaking out all the time like that? I would just be so panicked about it. And so to see people, you know, taking steps, kind of be like, Hey, no, let's, let's start producing some of our own food. Like we have all this land that hasn't been used like this for such a long time. Like these are some ways to do it. And uh, it was just, it was a really, really cool tour. And again, like we're really excited to, to have you on this. And, and I do want to talk about the spirit itself because this is one that when I was gifted my first bottle, like you pop open the top and you are just, I mean, your senses are assaulted with this funky vegetal, you know, cane distillate that you're just kind of like, like, I don't know if I have the cojones to drink this, you know, because it, it can be very aggressive and, and even when we popped open the bottle today, Chris was downstairs. He's like, I can smell it all the way down here, right? <laughs> and so, and I, and I understand that I'm, I might might not be painting the best picture right now, but it really does like, you know, have this beautiful aroma to it that eventually gives gives way to, you know, an incredible uh, flavor profile too. And 
And, you know, for me, my go-to drink is always going to be a simple daiquiri. And the way that Kohana shines in a daiquiri is just absolutely incredible. And there's so many different applications that, that people are using for it. But going between the different cane varietals now and being able to taste all these different ones is like, it's so cool. And I, I know I'm really just excited about all the time that we've got to spend together today and then now on the podcast. And hopefully people will be like, oh, I need to go out and find some Kohana rum because like this stuff is super dope. And and now with your guys' new distribution model, it's like, you know, it's it's more affordable than it's ever been before outside of like going to going to Oahu, which has some cost involved with that. Yeah, I mean, just hop on a plane. You're right there. It, it's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It is nice. And I mean, you know, the challenge now is getting it out is that, you know, uh, mm-hmm. is making sure that we can get distribution catch up to people's demand for it, too. And so that's what we're working on uh, right now is available in Hawaii and California. There's a little distribution in a few other states trickling here and there, but I don't even want to say that because it's like one or two shots here and there as it's sort of going. And those markets will continue to open up, hopefully. I did want to touch on one thing because we got a great PSA from this. Children, if you are trying to steal your parents' alcohol, (laughs) don't open up a bottle of Agricole rum because they'll know your dad (laughs) or mom is going to be in the other room and be like, son! Stop opening the agricole rum. So pick a different, hopefully less aromatic spirit or wait till they're asleep. Yeah. It, I mean, I it even think the aroma would probably wake them up. It'll so, wake me up. And we do also want to point out that we don't encourage underage drinking because I feel like that's something that you have to utter after. That's right. We like, don't encourage it. But uh, as underage drinkers ourselves, we recognize that there is a certain reality to a situation. I meant the 21-year-old kids that are still living with their parents oh, because right. it's in this pandemic and life is difficult. There are a lot more people living hey, with their is, parents. This is like, uh, do, you, do you teach uh, uh, chastity or do you teach the reality of sex? Yeah, totally same situation. That's, That's exactly what I was thinking. 100%. <laughs> I think we should delve further into that topic. Please but, tell me more. No, I mean, you were talking earlier too about like the funkiness of agricole. And that's one of the things is that the United States isn't a huge agricole rum drinking country. It's not like people are clamoring for blanc agricole everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. hopefully they will be. It's really cool to see the rise of spirits like mezcal where people are drinking and paying a lot of money for really dope unaged stuff. Because you hear about these unbelievable varietals of piñas that take multiple years to grow, and people start comparing and understanding the value of what's going on in this agriculture from these places and to bring really dope stuff. But they're really weird, with really wild flavors. And we start to see it in other places in rum. Like we get a lot of these weird stuff from Jamaica's with really long fermentations and really funky flavor profiles. And so as people start to accustom themselves to funkier things, you know, agricole is certainly one of them with all of this really wild depth of flavor that's not the easiest or most approachable. And I recently I had a really funny interchange where a delightful guy, Bob, who runs Bob's Wine and Spirits from San Clemente, California. Bob, I love you, and I hope and can't wait to meet you in person when we actually get to laugh about all of these things, because we've had this discussion already. Uh, But Bob reached out and wanted some samples of Agricole because he'd been working with our distributor and found out that we had some rum. So sent him a few different bottles of the single varietals because he was really interested in trying 
just the different varietals to see those differences. So we sent them to him and took a while to get back to me. And so I finally get him on the phone and he feels super sheepish. He's like, hey, I've been kind of dreading this call, but I think something's wrong with the rum. I opened <laughs> all of them up and they smell really weird. Like something's gone bad with them. I've had a lot of rum and nothing tastes like this. Are they okay? It's like, Bob, number one, we're going to laugh about this later. Number two, I still love you. Number three, have you had much agricole rum before, Bob? <laughs> he goes, no, never. Why? I was like, awesome. Come. There's like, don't worry about this. It's a completely different spirit. I mean, trying to, one of the difficulties of agricole rum is that it is still classified as rum. It's from sugar. So, I mean, the base ingredient that is going into it is from the same plant. But when you are making rum from molasses, I mean, molasses is just this boiled product that has all of these lovely, rich, incredible, intense flavors that have nothing to do with the base agricultural product from what it was created for. And it's, and it's a majority of what people are used to, which is, which, is, which is important to point out is that most of what we've been exposed to as American drinkers is molasses-based rum. Yes. And so that, that is a, that's a key point. So um, you know, another, another thing I think is important to point out, and especially as, as we continue forward in our industry and people are constantly trying to improve their situations, you guys – have already established kind of like a benchmark in terms of taking care of your employees, because the reality of the situation is harvesting sugarcane might be one of the most brutal voluntary jobs. And in some places, not very voluntary. And I'm just like, yeah, with that being, with that being the case, what, what is Kohana doing for those guys that, that are working at the distillery? Cause I know that's something that you've talked about today. And I think it's really important to emphasize the difference between Kohana versus, you know, we're not to point anybody out, but it's just like, what are you guys doing that makes it special? Yeah. I mean, sugar is tough. It's a rough industry that has been through hand in hand with really terrible labor practices from slavery all the way through borderline slavery with what a lot of the wages were in most sugar production. Um, so it's difficult to find rum that you can feel super wonderful about all of the production that went into it. Uh, but for example, every single worker who harvests sugarcane for Kohana, every single employee at the company, bar none, is starting at $15 an hour with 40 hour work weeks, two weeks of vacation, full medical and dental. That's just baseline. That's just what people get because people deserve to have a living wage. Also, we have, and if people want to do tours of Kohana, please come to Oahu. We want to show you everything. Yeah. So we've had a lot of bartenders come in and do tours. And for tours, like, we're not just going to show you the distillery and paint this pretty picture. We're going to bring you out in the fields. We'll hand you machetes and we'll let you cut cane. People come out and cut cane. So we've had a number of bartenders come in, cut and juice cane for a day. We've had one come back and do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but not just not just bartenders. Like like if someone sets it up, is it could it be could it, it be is, a non bartender ever, or is that just like it's like no, you got to stay with you got to exploit that group of people. It is. There's a lot <laughs> the eagerly exploited. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of liability with going out into the field and being able to actually harvest and cut cane. However. If you are interested and we want to talk about setting up a tour that gets a little bit more hands-on. And signing lots of waivers. 
talk to me and we will share my contact information afterwards. <laughs> if you reach out to me, we will do what we can to set something up. But yeah, I mean, it was more just to illustrate what brutal work it is. Right. And so right now we can tell a lovely story because when we have a daily harvest, it's six guys, six guys out in the field, two are going to be chopping cane. Two of them are juicing cane and two of them are carrying out the spent baguettes and then transporting the, the juice over to the distillery to start fermentation. There's one of the things with agricole rum is that sugar cane juice, super high sugar content. So like fermentation is starting really quick. So it's super important to get juice to distillery immediately to start that ferment. Otherwise the ferment's going to start whether you like it or not. So thankfully, what? No, sorry. Oh, no, finish, finish. oh so the, I mean, thankfully, you know, all of the fields that we have right by the distillery. So the typical fermentation is starting up within an hour of final bit of cane being harvested for that juice. Uh, you use the word I don't think a lot of people know, and that's a uh, bagasse. Do you want to you want to explain explain that? Yeah. So to get sugar cane juice, you are just pressing cane. There was a number of ways that mills would get that. What we are using is this giant mechanized cane crusher. So it's just like two giant metal wheels that are coming in. You put a strand of sugar cane into it and it grips it and rips it and presses it down, squeezes all of the juice out of it and all of the leftover spent material, all of the, the grass and the starch and all of that plant material is bagasse, which is the spent leftover bits of sugar cane that we use for fertilization. And and it's really cool. Like when you go to um, the distiller and you go into like their little visitor center, which, which has changed dramatically uh, when I went, when I went last year versus the first time. And uh, they actually have a little mini uh, crusher right there. So you can actually, you'll put some cane through and you'll be able to tell, you'll be able to taste exactly what fresh pressed sugar cane tastes like, which is really, you know, kind of a fun way. And it really does set the tone for like the rest of your, your interaction there, which I think is, which I think is really great. But, you know, overall, so you, you have all these different programs going on and, you know, we're doing, we're doing the unaged spirit right now, but you do have aged products as well. And I know that's kind of like a, that's a building program. So could you talk a little bit about what that consists of right now? Yeah. So putting down sugarcane, aging it, resting it, putting it in barrels so that we can get lovely aged spirit is a big focus of the distillery. And one of the big things that drew this drew me to the distillery. So, I mean, I've been working for the company for probably about nine months at this point, started during the pandemic, uh, had not been working in the bar because it had been shut down, was just getting ready to come back to work at my bar. And my bar basically fell apart. So it was just the perfect opportunity. I'd been talking and know very well the distillery manager. So we'd been talking for a while and I hopped on and agreed because I love this stuff. Uh, and one of the things that I like so much about it is they are committed to their own stuff. And so currently there are about 112 full size, so 53 gallon barrels. And some of the sherry casks are slightly bigger than that. They're not uniformly sized. But um, so about 112 barrels that we have put down now. And in four years, there will be over a thousand barrels put down. So owners, distilleries, all of us, we are investing in our own product because we believe in it and it will be awesome. And what's cool is that we also recognize that we have just started. We are a young distillery. I mean, distillery started in 2009. I mean, most of the like heavy distillation has started in full in 2014. So we've only had a few different iterations on all of our age spirits. And that's one of the difficult things about learning how to age is that 
you put something into a barrel and you're not exactly sure what that finished product tastes like for three years. And so then you get to iterate and then it's another three years. And so as they're doing it, they're committed to putting down a lot more and getting better with it. And for me, seeing the evolution of the age products has been like really nice is because some of the stuff in the beginning was okay. <laughs> and a lot of the stuff really like it's difficult. I mean, you see it a lot in tequila too, is that like when you put tequila in a barrel, it's so beautiful and light and delicate and floral and you put it in a barrel for a long time and it stops tasting like tequila. Right. And a lot of people yeah. love it, but like to me, it kind of always makes me a little sad, uh, which is why I'm like, I'm just absolutely adored some people like, like Carlos Camarena, for instance, who can put tequila in a barrel for like three years, five years have it taste like tequila 18 years i mean my god he's just fucking incredible it was really funny i mean i found out like i independently had loved like el tesoro paraiso uh ocho extra and el tesoro like their paraiso and all all of a sudden i was like oh oh that's why it's because they're all aged by this the same which is funny because those are like pretty much the only i like the exception maybe two like the those are the extra añejos i sell they're right, like because they're unbelievable. They're incredible. They're just so good. I and like and part of what I love about you know the six episodes of your guys' show that I've listened to <laughs> as the resident world expert is you guys are constantly talking about other people, and that's like the people that I've learned to bartend from. The people that I've learned and respect in this industry are always just throwing shout outs to people that are dope. Like who's dope? Them over there. And like I have no problem podcast right now and being like, what's dope? Carlos Camarena's tequilas. They're unbelievable. Yeah. You like aged tequilas? Here's someone who's making awesome ones. And like I have no problem coming on and saying that because like more people should drink them. Let's do better stuff. And that's the cool thing about Kohana right now, too, is it's like it's that commitment to figuring out how we put better stuff in barrels. And We've gotten as a distillery team, and I mean, I say the royal we to kind of like include me, but like this is not like things that I've done. But the distiller right now, as well as Kyle and the distillery, putting so much time to figure out how to make different cuts at the still with different uh, varietals into different types of barrels to make better aged spirits. And just recently, some of the stuff that's starting to come out of barrel gets me really excited. And like, again, I can freely admit up now that like a lot of the stuff that's come before. I think is fine spirit, but I wasn't super excited about it, but I'm starting to get excited about stuff that we're putting down and am super excited that the distillery is just committed to continuing to learn and get better at that. Admitting that like, yeah, this is a process and we are, have all of these different varietals of native wine and sugarcane. Let's figure out how they all taste independently, figure out what age is the best, which is better blanc, which is better at what proof, like we're learning. Let's keep learning. And the fact that they're committed to learning and not just saying, we know this, this is how we do it. This is our house style is awesome for someone like me who is just committed to learning and figuring out how to do things better all the time. Anyway. Yeah. I just can't, I can't agree more with the, with that entire segment, but I think it, we, I think we need to progress this because it, we're, we're already, we're already 30 minutes in and we got a lot of stuff. So I think it's now time for, for our opinion on facts. We heard from reputable sources.
I mean, in all honesty, I don't really want to talk about anything else. I just want to keep talking about rum for the rest of this. Well, because... I'm fine with talking about Kohana for <laughs> so it's okay. Plus, plus there's, you know, uh, we're, we're not going to ever record some of these conversations, but we were talking about a lot of volatile uh, topics earlier today. He's like, I'll never go on record. I'm like, neither will I. I get it, you know, because there's just certain things that you can't say in this industry. Thankfully, <laughs> rum... Tiki, there's just nothing controversial about them. <laughs> so it's really easy to have discussions about them on the record that you can just state your opinion freely that no one will get upset at you. About. Nobody will challenge it, not at all. Yeah, these um, are facts about opinions from disreputable sources. <laughs> so I think uh, we're the disreputable source, so it's okay. <laughs> well, so so there was there was some controversy though in Napa. And, and, and how about that segue, right? That was um, really, really smooth. Um, so, so Napa is bringing the hammer down on one, on their big wine auction that they do every year. This was, this was started by Robert Mondavi and it got to a point, uh, especially in 2005, where they wanted to make this event more exclusive and more premier. And so what they ended up doing was they cut the, the ticket allotment in half. So they took it out of 350 tickets and they made it 7,500 dollars per couple to attend this wine auction uh it it worked and it ended up yielding a ten and a half million dollars raise which is which is really great and it turned into this situation where if you didn't have a ticket to sit down at this dinner like everybody was trying to volunteer to work it just to be a part of it and it really turned into this thing that um was really for, and as the as the article pointed out, like for the 1%, right? Like this is, you got John Legend performing during it and things like that. And and uh, the way that the world has moved, the world, the way that it's changed, they're now looking at this event and they're completely dismembering it. And they're going to start over and they're going to be like, we want to we create an event that is open to every level of consumer that really puts the emphasis back on the wine itself of the Napa region. And something that we've talked a lot about on this podcast is removing that stigma and removing kind of like that elitism that comes from some people within the Napa wine industry. Now, so far, they don't really have too much of a plan in place in terms of like really what this looks like, but they are going to move away from some of those ticket prices. And they are going to try to, again, make it more accessible and give more access to actual wine producers and really make that like the big point of emphasis uh, for, for the event. But, you know, Justin, when you, when you hear about this and some of the discussions that we had about it earlier and everything that you've talked about when it comes to Kohana and making a spirit that is maybe not as accessible just because it's a flavor profile that's different. Like what are some of the things that like you would like to see Napa become, or are there any wine festivals that you've been to? You're kind of like, like, Hey, this is a really good, this is how you destigmatize stuff because you're dealing with destigmatizing agricultural rum every single day. Right. So you have this elite, elite group of people. What's some of your advice for like, Hey, maybe, maybe you don't need John legend. Well, look, this is difficult because as a resident of Sonoma County, I am uh, contractually bound by law to not say anything nice about Napa. Uh, <laughs> there is this like incredible stigma where I moved up to Santa Rosa about four years ago. And I figured that once I moved up there, that I'd learned that there wasn't really this fight between Napa and Sonoma. No, there, there actually is. And there's like definite animosity between the valleys. So I, I need to be careful what I'm saying so I don't lose any of my uh, Santa Rosa street cred. I mean, my own experience with wine auction is just from the bar side. It's because I'm always working on wine auction weekends. 
And when there are all of these events that come through town, we get real busy. I mean, I can understand the sentiment from Napa that the event has grown outside what they had eventually or what they wanted it to be. Because when these wine events happen, man, those weekends get sloppy. There are just police walking around the square because people are getting drunk and fighting at like 4.30 in the afternoon. It's unbelievable. Uh, one of our bartenders, Steven, who just has like an unbelievable penchant for getting punched. Uh, every bar has that guy. Wait, I definitely had a few Our of those bars with Steven. Steven, unbelievable. It doesn't matter. Male, female. He's had his like hair pulled, like fruit thrown at him. And it's always Steven. It's just unbelievable. But like multiple times it's happening on these weekends. And it's to the point where like people around town will be talking about it. And locals are kind of bummed because these weekends are happening. You know what it's going to be like. And even we at the bar, we know we're going to be slammed. We know the money's going to be great. We know the bar's going to do really well, which is awesome. The yeah. town's going to be busy. But, like, it's going to get sloppy. And we're going to have to be cleaning up vomit at, like, 5 in the afternoon and, like, looking out for fights, which sucks because it's people that go out and, you know, they've been drinking all day long. And it's 4 p.m. And they're like, well, I don't usually eat dinner at 4 p.m. It's like, yeah, you don't normally drink eight glasses of Chardonnay before 4 p.m. do, do you? <laughs> Have dinner, Doris. But, like, <laughs> it's really these things where the events have grown so big that I think, I mean, it's funny that the event is the Napa wine auction. Like, that's still a thing. And it's like, that's actually a serious industry event where people coming out for Napa vintners to be showing off a lot of their like barrel futures to come out for people to buy them. And that's still a deal, but it happens in addition to the John Legend concerts and auctions for stuff that isn't even wine anymore. It's like trips to places. And what struck me about reading the article was, and maybe it's just the quotes and what they're talking about. I don't really know what people really want. And I haven't talked to a bunch of the wineries about, but the article touches on some quotes where people are just looking for more intimate interactions. And I get that. And now this is where I'm going to earn my Sonoma cred shout out Sonoma County. Um, one thing I love about the wine region up there is you just get to meet a bunch of farmers. Like mm -hmm. there's a bunch of people like it's getting bigger. The town of Fieldsburg is gentrifying quickly. Ask a bunch of locals. They'll be really upset that more high price tasting rooms are going in and different things. And real estate prices are going up everywhere. Real estate's difficult. It's tough to live in California, but there's still a lot of agriculture happening in Sonoma County and you can come up and have unbelievable tastings that range from going to some bigger wineries that have some unreal tasting rooms with millions of dollars spent on them with food pairings and wine pairings. And then you can go out and see like a family run farm where they just like grow grapes and wine because they kind of love it and dig it. And it really runs that gamut, but it's actually cool to see because even some of the quote unquote bigger houses, bigger labels, bigger wineries, they're still farms and you can still see what they're doing and growing and get a sense of what it's like and why that is and what's different and unique about Sonoma County. And if the event, however they change it, it seems like they're changing away from it because it's not cool anymore for rich people. It's, it's like Burning Man, how Burning Man's not cool anymore. So rich people need a newer, cool retreat out in the middle of the desert to go do drugs because it's not fun to do drugs when the poor people are doing them too. I, uh, so <laughs> it seems like that may, might be what's happening with the event, but I think everyone benefits from having events where people can actually get in touch with what's going on. Cause 
yeah, Napa is getting really commercialized in places, but it's also because Napa wine is dope and in super high demand. And that doesn't mean that there's not awesome wine being grown there by some cool people. Sorry, Sonoma County. You know, what's interesting about that is, you know, being here in California, uh, we live in a weird little bubble. Uh, we've had, uh, oh, yes, please. I will have some more. Uh, we've had uh, uh, unfettered access to Napa and Sonoma, uh, to Santa Cruz Mountains, to all the ABAs that California offers, right? Um, I will say as my store, um, I have cases of Napa wine uh, that I've been sitting on for uh, since the day we opened. Uh, it's it's crazy to me uh, that, and maybe again, like I said, maybe it's our maybe it's our um, bubble that we live in. But I, you know, we don't see, and I hear constantly that sort of that Napa wine drinker is the older wealthy guy who's you know dying off for lack of a well, better you, way of saying it. Do you think it's kind of like the Oh, that's what my parents were into. So now I'm not into it because it's not as cool. Like, I'm, and 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 also, if you you do have this emergence, I mean, just we went to a natural wine bar before we came here today. So it's like you have this you have this growth there that maybe people are looking for it, or what are I think I from what I see, and Justin is definitely going to correct me on this, but from what I see is um, is a rigidity. Uh, to change and specifically in price point. And given the last year that we all sort of went through uh, dope wines, and you've talked about this a lot, Drew, dope wines for the cost and for the price coming from Spain, coming from Italy, coming from Portugal, don't even come close to what Napa charges. I mean, you have Bordeaux that sort of charges what Napa charges, right? But Napa, and a lot of that has to do with real estate pricing, as you touched on. You know, it costs a lot to grow grapes in California. But you're looking at if you want something of somewhat quality coming out of Napa, coming out of Sonoma, you're spending at least $40. And that's sort of the base. That's that's the bottom of any sort of quality coming out of there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to correct you on that. that. That's that's absolutely right. I mean, I'm actually just going to like further in on that point, but like, First, just a shout out. There are some Sonoma wineries that are making some dope wine for way less than $40. Shout out Sonoma County. Um, but like, I think a large part of what it is, is that like we lived slightly in this cool bubble where we are targeting people that are living around us. And when you are doing your bottle shop is amazing and your selection is incredible and you're targeting locals. The Napa's wines aren't targeted for Napa. They're not making wine for us. I mean, I don't mean that to sound in like some cold or cruel way. It's not, but like, it's difficult because all of the tasting rooms in Napa and Sonoma, they're all Napa and Sonoma wine, duh, because they're huge tourist destinations that people are coming around the world to get. Yeah. So when you live here, you have it. It's all around you. It's yeah. It's you're, like people yeah. aren't coming in being like, yo, I can't find Napa wine anywhere. Chris, can you help me? Where's the dope <laughs> Napa stuff at? They're like, please. Well, I think anything else. I think part of that also is, you know, we've, uh, we've noticed over the years, you know, Napa and Sonoma winery, wineries, their tasting rooms have. Why you got to combine the two like that? Why you got to say <laughs> Napa and Sonoma? Sorry. Sorry. I love you. Keep going. Uh, <laughs> they, they charge for tasting still. And especially, not especially, but when you're industry, it doesn't matter if you work at a restaurant, if you're a buyer, right? If you're, if you're going 
to experience Napa and be like, yo, I had this great experience. Okay, cool. I'm going to start buying cases of this stuff. They're like, they're, and even industry discounts on, on uh, bottles that you want to buy are still outrageous. You know, you, you're not, you're not finding anything. I remember being in, and actually this is taking a shot at a shot at your favorite County. I was in Sonoma <laughs> in a tasting room <laughs> And, and I never, I never assume that I'm going to get an industry discount. Um, but we were talking about, I was like, oh yeah, no, I, you know, I, I sell a bunch of like Georgian wine and, and different things like that. So we're going to distribute some in the industry. And the guy just straight up goes, well, we don't consider that industry here. And I just was like, I don't, Damn. And I was like, that's so hurtful. Um, but I mean, I, but I do think that there's, like, you're, you're not, yeah, you're not really looking for it when you can go get it like down the street and kind of get it anywhere. Right. Cause it's just, it's, there's no shortage of Napa and Sonoma wine around here. And I, and I still do really enjoy those experiences, but I, but I have caught myself multiple times cause I do cover uh, the Napa Sonoma area in my territory where I'll be sitting at a bar and, you know, talking to the person next to me and kind of be like, like, Oh man, you came all the way from Pennsylvania to come here. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess that's a thing. That people yeah, would do, like, 100%. yeah. I mean, especially now, too. I mean, I was just on a flight to, to visit my folks. It's my mom and dad's 50th wedding anniversary. Like, That's congratulations, amazing. mom and dad. Holy moly. And my dad's 75th birthday. Like, talk about a weekend to combine in one. <laughs> uh, but, like, flight is full. People in the United States be traveling again. Mm-hmm. And they want to mm-hmm. go places that are domestic. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we're seeing a lot more tourism up in Napa and Sonoma as well. And, you know, I think part of my own... Uh, opinions about those wineries are colored by the fact that I live there. So when I'm walking in, most of the time I am local industry. I know a lot of the people there. I've maybe talked to a friend there. So the experience that I've had have been wildly different. And that's terrible hospitality, no matter what you do. And if those are the (laughs) attitudes that you guys are getting, I'm really sorry. And that's a big problem because if Napa and Sonoma actually are, and I mean, like a lot of this, like this happens a lot more in I think it happens a lot more in Napa than it does in Sonoma. Obviously, my bias is then showing again, but like Sonoma is so much farther north, so it's it's separated. You know, it's just on the opposite side. It's more it's more west. Yeah, e- equally north. Yeah. Well, it's just it's so easy from SFO to get to Napa. Yeah, but to cross that mountain range, if we're to the point where we're not treating all the people that come in and all industry people, or just regardless of who you are, and you're not like showering people with hospitality. You're doing it absolutely wrong. And I, I know you talked in the beginning and touched about, you know, your interaction with me when you came and met me at a bar. Yeah. But like, that's why that bar works. Like, right. The bar we're talking about, it, it's Pagan Idol. I, I got, I was blessed with the opportunity to open up a, a really cool bar in San Francisco with uh, Future Bars. Uh, one of the cooler bar groups in the world have opened up just like world-class banging bar after world-class banging bar. And the fact that I got to help open up a bar for them is just is a joy and a treasure. But like when we were talking about opening up this bar, like the inside of the bar is ridiculous. It's just the inside front room looks like you're in the underbelly of a ship. There are portholes on the wall that are like well, broadcasting it, uh, scenes of fish. A capsized ship, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which mean, is a like a fish tank that comes in there plants everywhere and then you walk in the air and underneath this giant hut and an erupting volcano back there like it's all a win when people walk in they're just ready to have great drinks but talked about from the beginning when we open up the bar it's like if we're not meeting people that level of excitement and aloha 
then we lost, then we lost them. Then like, they'll have an awesome experience. They'll come in and like, look at the cool scenery, but like not want to come back and not want to go through the crowds. Cause like, that sucks. So yeah. if you're not meeting people that way, that's just a failure across the board of what you're doing. It doesn't matter what industry. Yeah, I will. I will say that like through, through my experiences and, and having preferences, like I do enjoy wine tasting in Sonoma more that I enjoy wine tasting in Napa, even though I have favorite wineries at both. So, um, I mean, I've had, you know, like anything else, you had good experiences, you have bad experiences and to kind of bring it back and wrap, wrap this up is that, you know, you do have people with different levels of experiences and the Napa wine auction is a really big deal. So to see them kind of extend the olive branch and get away from only having like the elite of the elite and like this unobtainable dinner is, is a cool thing. And hopefully, what we'll see is more of the, you know, destigmatizing wine and getting people to a point where they can really, you know, just enjoy it no matter what the price point If is. they can figure out ways to change up this format, to keep raising money for charity, which is awesome, to yeah. highlight the barrel auction so that they can keep selling legitimately sought after world-class wine mm -hmm. and allow people to have a better connection to the really cool wine and agriculture that's being grown there, then it's all a win. Yeah, totally. Okay, fortunately, our next story is like there's really not a whole lot to say about it because we are we are getting close to what typically tends to be our our, our runtime. But um, but kind of based off the conversation, we're probably just going to go for like another two hours. So <laughs> so I hope everyone just buckles up. But dating back to our first episode, which was now you know almost two years ago at, at this point. The big story of that time was tariffs and the tariffs that were being put onto different spirits, whether it was Scotch whiskey or American whiskey, and the fight between um, the UK and the United States over uh, Boeing versus Airbus and the different taxes and fees and things that they would pay. So it ended up being this uh, this fight that started in 2003 and has been ongoing through obviously multiple presidencies and has only gotten more and more bitter. And even though you have this fight that's going on between two airlines, you had all these different exports that were ultimately paying the price for it. And that hit an all-time high when the Trump administration decided to impose a 25% tax hike on our tariff hike onto Scotch whiskey, um, I believe it was French cheese, uh, some Irish uh, or whiskey as well, and um, really put a lot of people out of work, also raised the prices universally kind of across the board with the exception of a few brands. Well, we have an update. The 17-year tussle has tussle. <laughs> finally – is finally going to get a reprieve, and for the next five years – all tariffs are suspended by the Biden administration, which is a huge win across the board for, for everybody involved. And, and hopefully what we see is that, you know, the ultimate solution and there's still really kind of no solution between Airbus and, and Boeing, but whatever, fuck those guys. Um, they've ruined enough things so far, but you know, Justin, one of the things that we talked about was, you know, getting Kohana at a price that is like affordable and things like that and how difficult that can be, especially when you're when you're paying your laborers proper wages and things like that. 
a 25% hike, what would, what would something like that do to a brand like Kohana? Just to kind of give context for people who are listening. I mean, it's just rough. I evening up the market for everybody will be a wonderful thing. And I mean, I'm finding out about this right now in this podcast. This is magnificent. I'm just learning <laughs> that I'm about to be able to go out and buy a bunch of scotch for a lot cheaper. Well, okay. Now let's not get ahead of ourselves because there are still big businesses involved. And once you kind of get to that price point and realize that people are still buying it, it will be interesting to see in conjunction with the fact that now we have a 700 milliliter approved bottle size, like will we see a dip in prices? Let's not get like, let's not get too excited, but we, at least we know that we're not facing the prospect of, of an increase in even more. So just I've had, I've had a lot of really fun conversations with suppliers and distributors asking them if when the tariffs are eased, if the prices were coming down and almost all of them have been, have said, Oh hell yes! But watch their body language. Say I have no fucking clue. <laughs> it's that's been, my boss's that's call. Been, it's been the best. They're like, oh yeah. That's why, like, I'm yeah. so I'm so happy that the brands and the scotches that we import, uh, our import company, and like, so, so let's say like Kilhoman in this situation, they split the cost of the tariffs, right? So there wasn't a price increase at all. Um, and that's been really, at least, at least in terms of like the Machir Bay and the Seneg, which are the two flagships of, of the, uh, of the lineup. So, so I'm happy to say like on those ones, you know, you never, you never got to see the difference, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of like people like the Edgerton group with like McAllen and Highland Park, like out the gate, they were like, Oh, sorry guys, 25% higher. And they certainly, I haven't seen prices come back down. On that yet, you know, so. Well, you know, to be fair, I think, uh, you know, a lot of them are still paying off those tariffs on booze that came into the country during that point in time, right? So it's going to take a little bit of time for those for those numbers to start coming down. Just enough time for people to forget. Oh, literally, yeah. <laughs> just enough time for like the holidays maybe, right? Like, oh, but now we'll just do a little value-added pack on here and you get two glasses and it's totally Here's some like carrots that cost $2. <laughs> That's right. I mean, hopefully we get cheaper booze, but if, you know, there are other things that are more expensive, rum is cheap, guys. Super cheap. Just buy and drink rum. That's the takeaway. Got it. I'm glad that we can move on from this topic and just realize that the only takeaway from this discussion is that people should be drinking more rum. Drink more rum. Totally agree. Yes. Yeah. I'm willing willing to end the conversation on that. We're very happy that this story that we've been covering for two years has come full circle. Uh, no No more whiskey tariffs. Drink more rum. And more sherry. Oh, oh yeah, sherry. Absolutely. Drink more yeah. sherry so that way you get more whiskey. Yes. But drink rum anyway. You know what? Drink everything. At once. At once. Suicide it in a cup. Jungle juice. You know who's dope? Them over there. Okay. So my favorite segment of our show is the dope follow. And... It does. It makes me really happy that, and I know that you did this deep dive over the past few days and suffered through some pretty rough episodes. One of which we need to delete and upload again, so it has the right, you know, sound on it. But um, dope follows and us recognizing people in this industry, outside this industry, whatever the case may be, just people who are doing cool stuff. And so in the past, we've had Instagram accounts, books, other podcasts, not always, but sometimes, and just different things that you think are dope that you feel our listeners should be paying attention to. So with all that said, who is your dope follow this week? 
So this is a little strange because I'm like not on social media at all. So this is like a full <laughs> offline world. Like, absolutely. I think that it is just difficult on life. It's also strange to have a brand rep be like, yeah, I'm not on social media. You're like, really? It's like, yes, yes, hundred <laughs> percent. I'm just trying to go around and like smile at people and say, buy rum for me. They're like, how do I find out about you? It's like from me in person where there's aloha in your heart, I will be there. Uh, so I just wanted to start off by doing a full on like offline don't follow. This isn't yeah. even a don't follow of like, you can find these people. I just wanted to say thank you and I love you to Antoine Nixon and Michael Goldman. These Ooh. are two unbelievable brand reps who showed me that the world of representing a brand can be done in a way that is lovely, amazing, evocative, and fantastic, and make me feel like touched and tied to things. I love the brands that they worked for when we met uh, and love them to this day. And they are a big reason why I'm sitting here doing this is because they're dope. So if you ever get a chance to meet Antoine or Michael, just know that they're wonderful and they get the Justin Dolier seal of I could not agree with that. So Antoine is a, is a former guest. Michael is a guest that we need to absolutely have on here. And I actually had a conversation with this morning on the phone. He called me at, at 8.30 in the morning. Like that was a decision he made. Um, so despite that, great guy. When there's a list of guests and it goes Justin Dolier before Michael Goldman, like something has gone horrifically wrong. He does a he does a terrible job of like letting people know he's coming to town. He's like he's like oh yeah I was only gonna be there for fifteen minutes. It's like I would have taken that so fifteen minutes. I have I have to uh, give this story about how I first learned about Michael Goldman. Um, uh, I was in San Francisco with Antoine Nixon, and uh, when he was here in in when he was here in Sacramento with me, we were uh, working at the Red Rabbit. Uh, the, a lot of us went to San Francisco. I don't remember why. Uh, I think Southern, uh, uh, way back in the day, they used to have this uh, tasting event called The Event. And I think that that's why we were there. Um, but either before the event or after the event, uh, we all sort of split up and went to different bars and whatnot. And one of my really good friends, Katie, uh, who is the queen of hyperbole, uh, like literally, I've never met anybody who uses more hyperbole than than she does. She'd approve uh, that sentence. Uh, she would. <laughs> um, she she was sitting at a bar. She's very flirtatious, and I guess she had met Michael, who was uh, working at that point in time. She and she comes back to this group of bartenders who said and says, "Guys, I met the best bartender I've ever known." At which point in time, we all go, hang the fuck on here, Katie. What are you talking about? And it's all because she wanted to get into Michael Goldman's pants. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Don't we all. Here's helping Michael Goldman got some. Uh, so Michael Goldman can be found on, on social media, but he also doesn't use it very often. That's no. very true. Yeah. Uh, but he's at SF Bartender. And then Antoine, also someone who doesn't use social media very often. <laughs> My guys. Yeah. Out here <laughs> running the game. Yeah. Le underscore tone underscore official. So L-E underscore. You said le. 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 Um, so they're, they're on there. So you can, you can follow them. Chris, who's your don't follow? My dope follow is, um, is a magazine. Ooh. It's a magazine. Uh, I know, uh, print media is dead and all that. Um, uh, sorry, <laughs> Justin. Um, uh, but, uh, one of our guests that we had on, 
not so long ago uh, was Nadia Pugh. We enjoyed our conversation. Uh, post that conversation, I, uh, I purchased the previous uh, um, uh, edition of the magazine and the newest edition of the magazine. And I will say I thoroughly enjoy it. It's, uh, it's a little pricey. Uh, we talked about that beforehand. Yeah. Um, but I, I have zero buyer's remorse on it. Uh, the shipping, for some reason, shipping is just astronomical these days. I encounter that as well. But the, the straight cost of the magazine is 14 bucks uh, an edition. So what's it called? It's called the Wine Zine. Ooh, great Wine name. Zine. Uh, it showed up and my, uh, my wife thought that it was the Wine Zine. Uh, she was trying very, very hard to figure out exactly what it was. And I said, it's, it's the zine, like a magazine. She said, oh, that makes more sense. That does make sense. Yeah. She's tired. Um, she's, she <laughs> takes care of a child, uh, two childs, <laughs> two I'm children's. A, I'm, a, I'm an older child's. That's yeah. harder than raising and harvesting cane. <laughs> which, which you've discussed. If I had to do it, super hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's less slavery, though. We're not going to go that level. But, oh, boy. Awkward. Yeah. Awkward. Hey, Drew, who's your dope follow? <laughs> oh, thank God for that. Um, so, so I did, I did spend the, uh, the weekend in Austin, Texas and was attending my, uh, my best friend's wedding. Um, JD and Maggie, I love you guys. Thank you so much for, for having us at your big day. It was, it was amazing. And thank you for bringing me back to Austin, which is one of my favorite cities, despite the ungodly amount of humidity that exists in that place. It is just, that's why real estate is low there. Cause it's just, it's unbearable. But um, but one of the places that I love to go while I'm there is this bar called Whistler. And so Whistler is just like got this really kind of um, like this gothic type bar uh, at the bottom. And there's actually there's actually three different bar locations and they just make really, really amazing drinks. They feature some really amazing stuff. And then they have a small mezcal bar that like one single stairway leads up to. And you can only fit probably maybe eight people in there. And they just have this wall of incredible mezcals. And so I was able to go there with a couple couple buddies that I grew up with, a couple of new friends. And um, so the Whistler bar is just amazing. If you ever find yourself in in Austin, like they just they do incredible cocktails. They do incredible, uh, they have incredible selection. And they also have like, a, they always have a food truck there too. So you get some really good food. So on uh, Instagram, it's uh, Whistler. So it's W-H-I-S-L-E-R-A-T-X. So um, uh, check them out again. If And again, Austin, Texas is just amazing. And again, shout out to JD and Maggie. And Maggie's a listener. So love you, Maggie. Thank you for... Thanks, Maggie. Thanks for giving us that listen every single every single week and then actually having feedback for me. It's great. Not just like a three-day plunge like some other people do. So so if we want a dope follow from me that's not just like, hey, there are two people in the world that are hard to track down. Um, <laughs> I do so have, you should follow them around? Yeah, like I, I read like kind of a lot. So I have book recommendations. Oh, yeah. Um, I have a book that's related to the industry. Okay. I have a book that's like fiction that in some way tangentially relates to bartending in a super cringy and embarrassing way. And I have a book that makes everyone's lives better that everyone should read. So I'm happy. Let's to go. go. Hit me. You can't, you can't, you can't like say those things and then you'd be like, so which one? Which like, one? Like, yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's the question. Yeah. 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 No, no. All three no, are. Cool. So yeah. the first book is called By the Smoke and the Smell. It's written by Thad Vogler, who helped to open up Bar Agricole. I just bought that book. It's 
unbelievable. I know that travel is starting to open up now, but like it's more of a travel book than it is like a spirits book. It's Thad's explorations and journeys traveling to really cool areas. Oh, I want to read that so bad. After, after I read it, I'll get to you. find dope grower distillers. If you want to just like live vicariously through someone to take a vacation in a book and just live in someone's evocative words, Thad did it. Knocked it out of the park. Unbelievable. For the super cringy, ridiculous read, like, look, there's a lot of you out there who just want a good book to kind of take you away. The book is called Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge by Paul Kruger. It is a book about a girl who stumbles into a dive bar and learns how to bartend, and in so doing, learns magic. Every single cocktail is a different magical spell. And she learns how to wield the power of magic through craft cocktail bartending. It is absolutely as absurd as it sounds and even more fun as a read. That sounds like the perfect book for my wife to get her to finally appreciate my industry. Because <laughs> she's a big Harry Potter fan. And then she's also very young, yes. young adult. Like fiction is like her jam. Done and done. Yeah. And then it's like, it sounds oh, it's great. Oh, it's so good. It's such a fun read. It is just, it will take you three days to breeze through it. You will love every second of it. The cocktails are wow, super iffy, and you'll be sitting there like, really, you're not shaking that properly. But like, it's still <laughs> awesome anyway. You love every minute. Oh my gosh, I love this book so much. <laughs> my God. Uh, and the last one, and this is like one of these moments where we like step back and get like slightly serious for a moment because I actually feel that this is a book that everyone should read. Have used this hugely in my own life and professional career. My little brother studies educational psychology. He's gotten his PhD from Penn as well as a business degree at Wharton. And we've worked together. So as I've helped to build a number of bars, I've worked together with him to build a lot of the training in psychology through them. Uh, the book is called Mindset by Carol Dweck. My, um, my wife teaches mindset education. It's, it's in the power of yet. Believable. It, uh, Carol yep. Dweck. Yep. is such a cool woman. She is a educational researcher at Stanford who researches how the brain works and functions. And it is all about the growth mindset. Essentially, what you've been taught about how the brain works is mostly wrong growing up. And the brain, like anything else, is just this muscle that functions and grows. And as you work at stuff, you get better at it. I'm not good at math. Cool. Do math more. You'll get better at it. I'm not good at tasting spirits. Cool. Taste spirits more. You'll get better at it. Anything you want to do, there are limits to human capacities, but there's not limits to the amount of work that you can do and the growth that you can have in your life. Whether you want to be a better father, whether your relationships suffer in different ways and you want to get better at being a good friend or a more reliable coworker, you can work on those too. The magic this book opens up, and it does feel like magic, even though it's like unbelievably grounded in the most up-to-date science is just fabulous. I don't care who you are. If you take one thing away from this podcast, forget all about the rum stuff. Rum's cool. I'll find you. Go find Mindset by Carol Dweck. It'll make your life better. That's awesome. Those are some dope follows. Those are some dope follows. The music for the Good Bottle Podcast is orchestrated lovely by the Brothers Moore and produced awkwardly by us. Before we go kill this bottle, it's too late, uh, that we've been drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed this, 
See, awkwardly, like I said, we're so bad at producing this. Keep popping those bottles. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode up until this point, forget the rest of this. Uh, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. I do think that Justin had a lot of questions over whether there was any production done on this podcast at all. And now he knows. Not no. really. <laughs> Not really. Um, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is dgarrison6. Chris is Kristen Flair. You can't find Justin online, but if they want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? I mean, I'll give out my number over here. You don't want to give me a call. I don't care. You can call me or text me. The easiest way is probably to email me. Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, at Kohana Rum, K-O-H-A-N-A-R-U-M.com. That said, if someone really wants to reach out, they can reach out to you guys, give me my number, and anywhere where you have Aloha in your heart, I'll be there. It's like like saying Candyman. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And we, uh, of course, we also have our Etsy shop. Just look up Good Bottle Podcast. Go and buy yourself one of the dopest fanny packs you've ever seen in your life. We have a new shirt coming, and I'm putting that into the ether so we actually make progress on it. The design is done. It's freaking amazing. I can't wait you guys did. And we also are going to be donating all the proceeds to a charity down in Mexico. So really excited about that. Um, So check those things out. You can support us at uh, anchor.fm slash goodbottlepodcast, and we're going to buy all kinds of cool things with that $5 support you can potentially give us. (laughs) If you would like for us to cover a story or if you're working with a brand that wants to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase the bottles we drink on this episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, and we can do this in real life. We don't have to fake this out. Oh, cheers all around. Cheers. So about slavery.